0: Hey everybody, you're listening to Very Decent Chats, your weekly podcast with educational, inspirational and hopefully entertaining content about life hacks, relationships, spirituality, leadership, theology, comedy, uh, communication skills, creativity. (laughs) It's really about everything I find interesting and worth discussing. I'm really glad you could join me. My name is Andy Glowacki. I am your host. Let's dive in to this week's episode. Hello my friends, hope you are doing well, in spite of these crazy times of social distancing that we are living in right now, and the whole coronavirus drama that's going on. Stay safe, stay home if you can, and we'll all get through this eventually. Couple things before we kick off officially, I apologise for not being consistent with the episodes, I think Very Decent Chats is no longer a weekly podcast, but I'm not going to change the intro, it'll just stay the way it is for now. So make sure you subscribe to this podcast so that you get notified about new episodes. Also, I am a bit behind with my social media updates, but that's due to enormous amount of work at uni. I'll get there eventually, Um, so just keep an eye on social media. Uh, Anyway, I won't take too much of your time in this episode's intro. Because what's coming up is a very, very, very decent and inspiring chat with Mick. Mick is doing an amazing self-sacrificial work with homeless kids in Bolivia. It truly is an inspiring story. I actually call him Michael in the chat, but before we started recording, he introduced himself as Mick. And, And for some reason, I just didn't pick that up. So sorry about that, Mick. That was not intentional. It's just my lack of professionalism. Okay, hope you find this chat to be very decent. I will include all the links to the stuff Mick mentions during our chat in the show notes. And I will not be back with more info at the end of this episode. So I'll just quickly let you know now that you can follow Very Decent Chats on social media, subscribe to the show so that you don't miss out on any future episodes, especially now that we don't know if this is going to be a weekly podcast or not. And if you appreciated any of the episodes, feel free to share them on social media and maybe even leave a review on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts from. That would be great. All right, I'm going to stop talking now and here's my conversation with Mick.
1: Cool. All right. Well, let's let's officially kick off. We've been... Chatting for a while, getting to know each other, which is great. Um, but let's start officially, so we have some, some sort of content for the for the episode. Yeah, I appreciate your time and your willingness to to come on and and have a chat with me.
2: You're you welcome.
1: How are you feeling today?
2: Yeah, it's it's, it's good. I feel good. I, it's it's a really good way to chat in the way we are. It's comfortable, and I feel good.
1: That's good. That's good. And you are all the way in. Bolivia. Bolivia. You're an Aussie guy, but you are in Bolivia, which is there's a story behind that. And I think we'll get to it in a minute. But uh, I was wondering maybe if you could uh tell me a bit about yourself, a bit about your story. Um who who is Michael? Where are you from? What's what's your background?
2: Well, basically I'm from Queensland, um, on the Sunshine Coast, and um I had pretty much the best childhood anyone could want. Um, Grew up there on the Sunshine Coast in the 70s, so it was a pretty good lifestyle back then in Queensland. And um, then, of course, I I grew up, became a teenager and got into some um, probably things I shouldn't have at that age. um, I started taking a lot of drugs and parties and, and things that, basically led me into a direction of self-destruction, if you call it that. And um, I spent seven years backpacking um, around uh, the States, Europe, and Canada. And um, that was pretty much my lifelong dream, was to travel the world. And um, after I got back from doing that, um, seven years later, I found myself in Australia with with no vision or no dream, basically. So I just um continued to take uh, a lot of drugs to pass time, and and I think at that stage um I started to feel lost, as one would obviously in that lifestyle for a uh, for many years. Yeah. And then I found myself um starting to to doubt life and what it was all about, and and I had one of those crazy conversions and one day I was a non believer of God and, and pretty much the next day through a, a pretty scary experience I basically believed in God and wow. and at that st- at that stage I um got to a point where I was just so dedicated now that believing that there is a God and I've wasted the last so many years of my life in stupid things. Um That's when I decided to dedicate the rest of my life in in helping others, basically, um, which God's all about. And um, so I wanted to know all about God. So I joined a local church and then um, I found myself in Bible college, learning all about the the Bible and and stuff like that. And I just got to a point two years later, I'm in Bolivia. Uh, I was sitting down one day at college and saw the a Compassion, Compassion Australia video on children in the streets of La Paz and that's when, bang, I had a new vision and a new dream all of a sudden and that was my goal. I'm going to Bolivia. I had no idea how. I didn't speak the language and I just turned up in Bolivia with pretty much a suitcase and $200 in my pocket. That's crazy. And, um, yeah, and found myself working in the streets with the kids for two years. and. Um, so that's pretty much my whole life story in a uh, in a few minutes wow. there, but no, that, yeah,
1: no, that's that's great. So let me just go back before we jump into your story now in in Bolivia and all the things that you're involved in. So what happened that you went through this transition from um, life of of self destruction? I think that's the word you used. You know, partying and not caring about anything in life at all, not having any uh, vision. To then all of a sudden um, having that spiritual experience, you know, realizing that there is God, and then you want to believe in God now. So, what, did, did you meet someone? How did it happen?
2: Well, I was I was at a party and um, quite drunk, and I had was taking some some drugs, and then all of a sudden I felt a heaviness in the room, and um, I became literally straight. I was sober instantly and that that was the first thing that scared me. I thought, "Wow, that doesn't happen. What's going on?" And so I kept taking more drugs to try and get back to the point where I was, and nothing was happening and I started to get a fear inside and After the party had finished, it was at my mate's place and um I was downstairs. It was like three a m in the morning, and I had that feeling of a presence in the room and um it was was just something dark that scared me so much inside that it was just it was pure evil that's what I felt basically and um I started to see some really crazy stuff and at first I thought it was the drugs you know that um they were affecting my mind and I was I, I saw shadows and and just it was just a mist and and it just the presence of it was just so heavy and so dark it it scared me into believing God. And um, I think at that stage, because I jumped on a train, I was at my mate's house, and it was the first train of the morning, like at 5.30 a.m. from the Gold Coast of Brisbane. And this presence just followed me on the train, and it was so scary. I just kept shutting my eyes. And I got out of Brisbane Central to change trains to get on another line to go to my family's home. And um, – as soon as I got off the train, I smoked cigarettes at that stage. I went outside the station. I had him a cigarette, and I looked up, and I heard church bells ringing. And um, something inside said, go into the church, and you'll be, you'll be fine. And I didn't <laughs> jump okay. back on the train. I jumped back on the train and, and went on my way to home. But just over the next three days, just certain things happened to open my eyes, and I never looked back. I thought, there's a God. There has to be. So it was basically evil that scared me into believing God, I think. The presence of it. And I've never never had it again. I've never seen it again. Nothing. It just happened that day.
1: Okay. And so you find yourself in church later and then sort of went through the um, born-again experience, I guess some Christians call it that. And Yes. Yes. Okay. Wow. That's pretty cool. That's quite unusual, I think, because... I mean from from my perspective because most of the testimonies or stories that I'm hearing about people's conversions, there's usually someone, like another human being, <laughs> that is involved in this process, right? Someone testifies about Jesus to someone else or you know, and, and this is quite your story is quite unusual. It's 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 fascinating. That it's almost purely spiritual in a sense.
2: It is. That's exactly what it was and um I'd heard about Jesus, obviously, growing up. Everyone knows. I even went to Sunday school when I was in the early years of my life. So I knew who Jesus was. And, of course, I I, I have learned after the fact that there were people praying. Like my family aren't Christian. I'm the only Christian in my family now. And um, even though they have beliefs, but, yeah, yes, yeah, so it, was, it was just very spiritual, which yeah. was strange.
1: Yeah. I just want to pick up on one more thing that you mentioned which I find really interesting. Uh you used this phrase that um this experience of that spiritual uh, evil or the presence of the evil scared you into believing in God. That you were so frightened I guess that you decided to move away across from the dark side into the into the other side, right? And so so I wonder so how did you then approach this um Later, after you got to know Jesus and God, I, I'm getting at the whole the whole notion of fear, right? Being scared of God, and did, did anything
2: change after, or how, how did how did that happen later? Well, my life instantly changed that day, and um, I stopped drinking, I stopped smoking, I stopped taking drugs. I yeah. I did the crazy things like a lot of people do when they first um come to God. You throw out all your CD collection, and and basically, oh, right. it's, it's just to start a new start a new life i think in a in a different way and um it was only the fact that a friend of my mother's was a christian and i explained my experience to her because my parents thought i was crazy obviously and um the when i met my mum's friend she just told me she said it sounds like you've had an encounter with god and and that's what set my mind into thinking well Hey, you know, if there's definitely evil in the world, there has to be a God because, you know, (laughs) you start thinking about all your childhood Sunday school stories, you know, between the devil and God, and I think that set me on the course of to to find a a church, obviously, to find out all about the new belief, I guess.
1: So, so did that notion of fear of God disappear after you started to discover Jesus a bit more? Instantly. Yeah,
2: I the pretty much the day I realized there was a God, um, and I never saw that or felt that presence anymore. It was the the fear just left me, and I have I've never been scared of evil since. And um, I think I think it's a peace that I got that day. That okay, there is a God, so I am safe because I believe in Him now. And I think this has set me on a, a path of, of, of not being scared of anything anymore, really. And um, so, yeah, it's crazy because it changed my life yeah. dramatically. Yeah.
1: Well, you obviously have no fear because you left Australia. You went to South America, Bolivia, with one suitcase and 200 bucks, right? Yeah. And so let's jump into that story. So what 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 happened you arrived in um Bolivia with this new passion, new vision for for working with uh with kids that were homeless. Um and so so talk about that a bit more.
2: Yeah, I arrived in La Paz, which is the capital at like 3 a.m. and um not speaking any of the language. Of course, I knew I was going to Bolivia, so I I started learning the basic hello, thank you and, and stuff like that. And I arrived um, and I found a like a hostel that I stayed in, and um, basically I got there. And it wasn't from fear that I wanted to go home that day. It was from the stupidity that I started thinking. I you know, go, what have I done? Here you know, I am in a country I don't speak the language. Um, I don't know anybody. I don't even know where I'm going to start. And I, I, I started. Convincing myself that I'm an idiot, which a few people told me before I left. I left Australia. That what are you doing? You're crazy. Yeah. And um, so I had that thought in my mind to go back because I'm crazy. And I started walking down the main street of La Paz, and I heard, crazy enough, people singing. And um, it was a church. And I walked into the church and never looked back. The moment I walked in, there was a person at the door that spoke English, invited me in, and I became a, a member of that church, and I met um, a good friend who's been my friend ever since, a pastor, and he was doing street ministry in the the streets, and I explained to him that I wanted to to work with the children in the streets that I saw in the video. Mm. And I think within three days I went out and um I bought myself a, a thermos and um like a a jerry can for cordial basically yeah. and uh, I moved in to um the pastor and his wife's home. They just took me in like I was part of their family Wow! That's and it it was pretty crazy because he explained since that that he'd had a dream that I was coming, which was even even crazier and um he opened his home for me and I, I lived there for two years and so I just used to go by myself with the the two thermoses with soup and cordial and started feeding the kids in the street and I ended up um, basically doing that for two years.
1: So what was the situation like for, for those kids, those homeless kids in Bolivia? I mean we, we can sort of probably have, a, have an understanding of what homelessness is, but in a country like Bolivia, I'm imagining it's very different to what it would be in Australia or
2: like you know Western countries. So, what, what was it like? It's crazy. It's um, you know, I travelled for seven years. So I had seen a bit already, but nothing yeah. prepared me for the life that those kids live. Mm. And I think the it's 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 beyond poverty. There's 20 kids living in a, a makeshift um dog kennel basically in freezing cold temperatures with um mud and water and they just all sleep on the floor like rat and flea infested it, it just it shocked me basically and I, I couldn't believe it and um in the 2 years i was there I worked with about 25 kids because I there's there's hundreds of kids on the streets of La Paz but I just decided to work with two groups yeah because that's all I could do as a, a pretty much one person. Yeah. And within those two years, probably half of the kids had died. Um, suicide, drug overdoses, some had been murdered. Um, some just went missing. And it was, it, it, was, it was just crazy. You have no idea the conditions they live in. I can't even explain it. And, and um, pe- yes. people in Australia wouldn't keep, keep their pigs in, in a pen that was that dirty, wow. honestly. Uh, that's that's shocking, and so there is
1: no support from the government for that kind of thing. nothing no
2: the government do nothing um the government actually um i've heard rumors, but i don't I can't confirm it, but I've heard rumors that the government actually try to eliminate them so um wow, wow. the kids the kids told these stories that the police would round them up sometimes, take them up into the mountains, the higher mountains and fire bullets over their head so they'd run off but they all end up coming back so they're pretty tough kids you have no idea Wow
1: okay so so you you find yourself on the streets helping those kids for two years and then um, what what led you to creating this um, orphanage I suppose you'll probably help me with better phrase but
2: one day I was sitting in the in in their little shack on the side of the mountain and I'm thinking after two years working with them nothing has changed and half of them you know died and I'm just thinking well really what I'm doing here is 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 not achieving anything but feeding them and um you know basically just become their friend there there was nothing changing and there's so many help groups in La Paz from all over the world from Um, Europe and Canada and the States and so the the kids know where to go Thursday night for a free meal they need new clothes they know they can go to another mission so there was nothing changing and I sat down one day and I thought the only way that these kids lives can change obviously is from an experience with God or um, to get them before they actually go into the streets and get addicted to the drugs and crime and that's when the the dream of opening up a, a home for the kids before they get to the street came in. And, and um, after a period of time, I found myself leaving the mountains because I hated the cold <laughs> 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 and moved down into the jungle, which is in the north of Bolivia on the border of Brazil, where we are, mm. and um, buying a bo- block of land, which all happened basically by... Miracles, just provision that's happened since I've been here's incredible, and now we have um, a home for twenty, thirty kids, wow. which is great.
1: Wow! So instead of instead of going to the streets now and sort of meeting the immediate needs of those kids, like food and clothing or whatever else on the streets, you actually are bringing them back to that property.
2: Yeah. Well, no. From the street kids, um, a handful of them came with me down here to the jungle, but um, all of them have gone back since. And um, so all the children that are in our home now are basically orphans, abandoned children, or people that have been placed here by the government because of um, abuse or sexual or physical abuse. Right, so it's like a safe, safe haven, so to speak,
1: like a refuge for them, but they can, they can leave if they want to, like, they don't have to stay there.
2: Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a home. Um, It's called Casa Segura, which means safe, safe house. And um, basically we, 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 we tend to take orphans because um, I think the orphans are, are at a point in their life where they, they know they have no parents and this becomes their home. So it's not like an institution. It's not like a, a place where the kids come and go. Yeah. Um, if a child comes here, um, the first thing that's told to them: "This is your new home. This is new, your new family," and they get educated. Um, and we don't. We also see through their education to tertiary education, etc. Depending on what each child wants to do. So basically, like any other child in any family, is how we try as much as we can to raise the kids here and um, so yeah it's, um they after a after a very short time they become part of the family which is it's, it's amazing it's really really great
1: and so you obviously see how that's different to what you were trying to achieve in the first two years right this is more more comprehensive more more permanent help for them right
2: yeah, it's it's more permanent help um, because now the kids don't get the chance to go to the street to get addicted to drugs and crime and also they get to follow their dream, which is the number one goal here because everybody has a dream to do something and that's what we, we work to like that's my main goal: is to that every kid will leave here one day and follow their dream and become a pilot or a doctor or whatever, a pastor, a missionary. Mm. And I think, um, and that's happening. After being here 15 years, we've got kids growing up and leaving and uni, and so it's it's good. Amazing. So it's definitely made a difference yeah. than it did in the street.
1: Obviously, you're not doing this alone, right? Because that would be impossible. So talk to me about your team.
2: Yeah, not anymore. The, oh, I couldn't do any of it now without the yeah. team. Um, we have uh, three local people, Bolivians, that um, have come on board and been here. My right-hand man, Rudy, he's been here 15 years since we started, and um, so he's part of the family as well. And we have uh, an amazing lady who cooks for 30, 40 people every day, three times a day. Right. Without her, it would be impossible. And um, then we also have another lady that comes and washes all the kids' clothes and sheets and blankets. And then we have a constant flow of um, foreign visitors from Australia and all over now, yeah. from Europe and Canada, Australia. And um, then we have a family that live here full time from Australia to help me. And also we have one more Australian girl who works in the office okay, nice. where I am now. Nice. So it's a it's a, it's a Great team. Yeah,
1: I was going to say, it sounds like a great team of dedicated people. That's fantastic. You you need that. That's that's awesome. Um, we spoke before, or sort of messaged uh, before we set up this conversation, and you mentioned that you were in Peru. So does that mean that you are opening new houses like this? Is it an international thing now?
2: Yep, that's exactly what my new dream is because we've been here running now for 10 years with children and um so basically i said got to do more of these places because um it's really important for me to help as many kids as, as i can because it's my dream and so instead of making this place bigger which um i'm kind of against because a home loses its feeling if there's too many kids in it it becomes like a, an institution or a boarding home right. so i thought maybe if we open more more homes. And, um, and so now that's my goal, to open one in every country in Casa Segura, uh, in, in South America, sorry, yep. a Casa Segura in South America. And so I have this other crazy dream to do that and um, just got back from Peru where we've opened a new home and in Paraguay as well.
1: Oh, wow. So it's happening. So you've actually, you've actually opened one in Peru and wow. Congratulations. That's awesome.
2: Thanks. It's, um, oh, it's, it's amazing. and I'm just so excited because, as you mentioned, team, um, I can't work in the other home. So first thing was to find who's going to dedicate their life to do what I've done here. And we found two families, a young couple in Paraguay who are Paraguayan, and um, they're starting a the home there. And then there was another couple from here, Bolivia, that um, took on the vision and moved to Peru to open their home. And we now have nine kids there, so it's already started. That's awesome.
1: So, Michael, this this sounds like a very inspiring thing. Like, I'm inspired by your story and by, you know, your, your sacrifice in, in, in the fact that you moved from Australia to a different country. You spent so many years there investing in those kids, kids that didn't have anyone, uh, in, not to mention their own government trying to get rid of them. So this is profoundly inspiring, but I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure it's not easy, right? So what's, what's the hardest thing about it for you, about doing this? Being away That's from home? a good home? question.
2: Yeah, but I think I've been, I've been out of Australia now for 17 years, so this kind of is my home. As much as I, I miss Australia like heaps, and, um, especially some good food and and my family, which yeah. is uh, a huge sacrifice, but I go home I try to get home every once every two years, sometimes more, but usually it's every two years I get back to Australia. That is probably the hardest thing um probably being away from family, I guess, and um some good Aussie meat pies and yeah. <laughs> all that good stuff yeah. but as far as the the work goes, it's a it's a heavy load, and um, but at the moment I'm just also just starting to learn to to share this load with um, many people, which is um, causing a challenge. But it's also uh, a great thing, and I'm excited about it that so many more people are coming on board to help. So, um,
1: speaking of coming on board. Um How can we? How can people find out more about what what, your your ministry there, your work there, and what's going on? Is there a website? I know there is a YouTube channel. I think Kasha, a mutual friend, mentioned it to me. But can you talk a bit more about how can people access more information about you guys?
2: Yeah, well, we have a website which is um, basically www. dot com, and then I started a, a video series because so many people, you know, it's so hard to share a vision unless yeah. it's visual these days, which is great about social media. Uh, we have um, fiber optic now to, to our home, which is fantastic. And so I started a video series, A Year in the Life of Casa Segura here. And so every week I've been um, posting a video on YouTube, which um, you can just search for. Casa Segura, Bolivia, and you'll find us on YouTube and um, watch the videos of what lives here about, uh, how we live, where the kids go to school, what the kids do, there's testimonies of how um, the the home's changing the lives of some of the children, and then I'll be posting next week and the week after our trip to our new home in Peru, so people can find out heaps on YouTube and, and the website.
1: Awesome, and so financially, we can support the kids individually or is it just like what how is it set up if you could just explain that
2: definitely we we work on three types of um donations uh uh, probably 50 percent of our income is from child sponsorship um so you have the choice to sponsor any one of our children in all three countries and um then after that we we get a lot of one-off donations from um people family friends and and stuff like that, and then there's also probably two businesses and four churches that back us on a monthly basis, nice. which make up the rest of our income but we're always in need. you can imagine with with now nearly fifty kids in all three homes there's, and there's need everywhere yeah. it's, it never stops but mm. we're always um we're still alive, thank good, god. Good, good, good. <laughs> that's good that's good that's good i'm i'm
1: going to link all of this stuff in in the show notes so it's easy for people to access so they'll just click on the link and find you easily so michael if somebody wants to come and join your team or volunteer for a while do do i have to be christian i mean your your story is is obviously quite uh influenced by by christian faith but can anyone come
2: Yes, um, of course, with laws and restrictions these days there are there are some um things in place to mm-hmm. screen visitors, of course, we can't just let anyone come to the home yeah. but um probably forty percent of our visitors that have come here over the last ten years haven't been Christian, and um they've blessed the place in in more ways than than many and it's amazing, so everyone is welcome. As I said, there's a screening process with references and stuff like that, and background check. But at the end of the day, anyone's welcome. We've had 110 visitors come through just this home alone since we've opened. And um, our Paraguay and Peru home aren't ready to take visitors as yet because they're only brand new. And But our Bolivia home is definitely... Always, um, and with Bolivian law, you can stay here up to three months. After that, it, it becomes quite difficult. Okay, but yeah, definitely.
1: Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate that, and uh, thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing your story. I'm I'm very inspired, and I hope everyone that, who listens to this story can be inspired as well, and hopefully moved to to get involved or to help somehow.
2: Great, and I just want to thank you heaps too, because uh, it's people like you that that are a huge part of why this place happens, you know, because we can't do anything from this yeah. side really. And um, it's people back home that are sharing the words, spreading the vision that, that that make this all possible. And thanks heaps, mate, for being interested in the story and our home basically.
1: No worries. Thanks so much. Appreciate that. I, I think I think it was a very decent chat. So <laughs> thanks for chatting to me.
2: That's good. But it was all about me. <laughs> Sorry we didn't talk about you much. <laughs> that's all good.
1: That's all that's all good. You have got a great story. I just wanted to find out more about it, so it's okay. I talk about myself all the time, so that's fine.
2: <laughs> no, that's good. <laughs> Thanks, man. So you don't you're missing out. Hey, make sure you say hi to Kasha for me and thank her as well personally. I will. And um, yeah, she's a great a great person. Mm-hmm. Kids loved her when she was here so tell us she has to come back too. maybe you can tag along with her one day
1: thanks mate i appreciate that
2: hey thank you thank you heaps so keep in touch and let me know how it all goes